Hello, plantpreneurs, and welcome to series two of the Plant-Based Business Podcast, brought to you by Feevolution. In this show, we explore what it takes to create and scale a plant-based business. I'm your host today, Damien Clarkson, and each week on the show, we speak to a range of entrepreneurs and investors who are passionate about creating positive plant-powered change in the world. This week, we're joined by the director of Fry's Foods, Tammy Fry. Tammy was literally born into Fry's, and in fact, her whole life's mission has been about changing the world through the work that Fry's has done in feeding the world vegan food. And in this discussion, we talk about how Fry's literally grew from the family kitchen and expanded across the globe. We talk about her competitive nature and competing internationally in karate as a vegan athlete, the global growth of the plant-based community, effective strategies for marketing products into retail, and the recent acquisition to become part of the Live Kindly company. I love recording this podcast, so sit back and enjoy. Tammy Fry, how are you doing, Tammy? Hey, Damien. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm very excited. I know. It's exciting for me because actually you pay, played a quite pivotal role in what became Feevolution. I'll never in 2015, forget. I held an event called Vegan Futures. And I think the next day or the day after we met up in Box Park in London... And you were like, this could be massive. You need to like really go for this and like, you know, blow it up and do it everywhere and just, and it turned out right, really. Yeah, I'll never <laughs> forget that day. Turn into something. And I'll never forget standing in Box Park chatting with you and, you know, everything wasn't working out exactly as you saw. And it just, it's so amazing to see how well you guys are doing. And now this podcast is just like the cherry on top. I'm incredibly proud of you and, you know, always so supportive of other plant-based businesses. So it's great to catch up with you again um, on the podcast. Yeah. And, you know, that was um, five years ago. And the movement, you know, plant-based business has just, and adoption of plant-based diet around the world has just grown much faster than I think any of us could have, could have imagined at that point even though it seemed like it, it was going to get to that point where things were starting, starting to change. Yeah, I mean, I've been a vegetarian from birth and I think I, it was a real struggle growing up, especially in a meat-eating country like South Africa. And to see the explosion and the way people are so accepting of plant-based diets and not only accepting, actually excited to get involved and to give it a go, um, is incredible and all the data shows to plant-based becoming mainstream and I think we're going to see it in the next five ten years we're going to see plant-based mainstream um, the predictions are that uh, plant-based foods will take 10 percent of the 2.7 trillion meat markets which is is a big deal um, because right now we we're not definitely nowhere near 10 percent but I think it's extremely exciting to be alive at this time and to see this rapid change and rapid acceptance from consumers and, and people around the world. Yeah, it's, it's super exciting, but it wasn't always that way. So I think let's go into your story and the story of Fries. So Fries was started by um, Wally and Debbie over 30 years ago, is that correct? That's correct. Um I think Wally always laughs. He says, you know, he went to the vegan society in South Africa and there wasn't one. And then he went to the vegetarian society and they had probably 10 members. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting because Wally was a goat farmer um, selling goats 
uh, goats to you know individuals for cash. Um, in South Africa, we lived in a very humble home. It was actually just a, a shack <laughs> with a tin roof. There were no partitioning walls, um, and there was no running water. So Wally and Debbie used to collect the water in drums and bring it up to the house from the river. And we were surrounded by farm animals. And so for me as a child, that was actually quite exciting. I didn't really care how the house looked, but I, I loved spending time with the animals. And uh, we had, uh, you know, if we had given the goats a name, then they weren't allowed to be sold for slaughter. And that's quite interesting because it's the same right now. You know, it's like once you've given something a name and it becomes your pet, now it becomes different in a way to an animal which is being slaughtered in a factory farm. So uh, Wally was running his goat farm, wasn't doing that well. <laughs> he actually ended up burning his money in the fireplace one day because he used to store his cash in the fireplace. That was like his bank for his money. Oh, no. <laughs> and my mother nearly killed him. And he ended up leaving the goat farming business and starting a construction company, which actually ended up doing very well until he built a piggery, which was a 4,000 sour piggery. And I think he went uh, to the piggery uh, once it had been completed and he saw the actual operation for the first time and how what he had built and what it was actually doing. And I think this for him was an epiphany moment uh, in his life where he realized, you know, I actually, I don't want to consume animals anymore and I'm going to join Tammy who's always been a vegetarian and always nagging me and my mum, my Debbie, who was also uh, had been a vegetarian for many years and he decided to join us. Um, and then it also brought a whole lot of problems because living in South Africa, there were no plant-based milks, plant-based cheeses, you know, now it's easy, but then there was nothing. Um, and there were no easy protein sources. So, you know, if you were going to get protein, it was going to be from lentils and it was quite a far cry from eating sausages or what we call burevors in South Africa, which is like a traditional... South African sausage or a steak to eating pulses. And I think this is a dilemma still that goes on today when people transition. Like, how do I give up steak and sausages for broccoli and cauliflower? It's, it's a massive, you know, it's a massive leap and, and change in your life. And so we look out for these transition foods. And I guess that's what Wally set out to create was a, a transition food for himself to make this easier and for to stay on the path of plant-based living. And it was his crutch. And, you know, as a family, we really enjoyed uh, creating these products, but it was very Robinson Crusoe. You know, we had a Kenwood chef in the kitchen. We had some cooking pots. We had a ruler, which we used to measure off the sausages and tie with a piece of string. Um, and this is how we were making the products. And, uh, and friends would come over and try some of our sausages and some of our burgers. And often we'd be, you know, ridiculed for being these like happy vegans. And um, he, he slowly started to develop a range which really became very close to meat in terms of taste and texture. And he eventually went to a supermarket buyer in South Africa to show his products. I don't think for commercial reasons, it was just that a lot of people started asking about how they could get their hands on the product. And, you know, we were set up in our kitchen making five sausages for that guy and 10 for that guy. And uh, he actually got a listing with a retailer overnight, like 400 stores. So you can imagine, um, you know, from having some pots in our kitchen, 
to having a listing with 400 stores, um, that was probably the, the greatest challenge. In a few weeks, he had to scale up his operation. You know, the Kenwood chef couldn't be just a Kenwood chef. It had to now be a, a much bigger piece of equipment to process and, and, and create what he was creating at home, but on a bigger scale. Was this all still in the kitchen when you got this retail Yes, <laughs> Yes, we were still in the kitchen. We didn't even have a brand name because I think if he had thought about the brand name, it might not have been called fries because <laughs> it doesn't bring the healthiest connotations. Um, but, you know, he was with the retailer and the retailer said, what's your brand? And he hadn't even thought about the fact that this could be a brand. So he said the first thing that came to mind, which was his surname, and he said, oh, fries. So that, that was the brand. And then it stuck, you know, it was, it was listed as Fry's and it became Fry's and, uh, you know, the Fry family food company. And that's how it, it was born. That was the beginning. And this was, I mean, I think it's critical like for people that are listening to this podcast. We had no capital investment. We had nothing. We had a kitchen. We had a passion. We wanted to change the world, uh, but we didn't have you know, people knocking on our door to invest in our vegan company because, you know, nobody really really even knew what a vegan was. This was the first family-owned vegan company in the world, you know, in South Africa, in a kitchen. And how long ago was this? Was this, when would this have been? Well, actually registered as a company 30 years ago. Wow, okay, wow. Yes, it's quite, it's actually an incredible story how this all happened and of course we're all still involved now um you know as a second generation uh, we're all involved we very much buy you know, i myself have been vegetarian from birth and been vegan for many years and this is my passion this is what i was born to do my purpose yeah so do you feel like that was always your destiny to go into the family company and just you know drive it forward there was no question in my mind um you know, I, growing up as a, call an animal activist, um, I used to just get into so many arguments with people. Um, and yeah, I went to a, an Anglican all-girls school, and I'll never forget walking into Christian studies one day, and all my friends came around and placed their hands on me, and I was like, I don't know what is going on. And they placed their hands on me, and they started praying for me. And I that, and, and I realized that they were praying because I was a vegetarian and it was anti-biblical. I mean, this is not going back that far, you know, so we can see how far we've come as, as a human race because it sounds ridiculous now that if you say that, you know, you probably have 20% of the kids at school are vegetarian now or vegan or somewhere, you know, definitely reducing their meat consumption. And um, so this was just unbelievable. And I didn't have, you know, I lost a lot of friends through that process and I had a lot of learnings how to advocate for veganism. And I think that culminated, it was actually one of the driving forces behind me becoming an athlete and representing my country and eventually going on to win the junior world championships in in martial arts and karate, which is my sport, because I wanted to prove so badly to people that you don't need to eat meat to be strong, fit, healthy, survive, um, thrive and the only way that I was getting people to consider um, what I was doing as being acceptable was to be a high level athlete because that was the only time that people would turn around and say okay actually what are you doing because you're obviously doing something right but when I fought them and when I argued with them 
I was getting the wrong response and I was just pushing people away and not bringing them closer to to the way you know I wasn't advocating in the right way but I was a child so um, I've learned a lot of lessons in that process but yeah this is my purpose and this is what I'll do uh, for the rest of my life and um, you know I stand strongly for the animals. Yeah that's incredible and I think it's that whole showing rather than telling people and you, your way to show was to you know, go and become an elite level athlete, really. You were a game changer long before game changers. <laughs> before um, vegan athletes became actually a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's incredible to hear those origin stories. And, you know, went at a point where Wally went and got that list in, sort of made up the, the name of the brand on the spot. What came next? How did Fries go from a kitchen to being uh, sort of listed globally because I think the growth from there must have been quite rapid really um I mean it wasn't that rapid because it was very slow and we had no marketing investments and there was no marketing funds available to really spread the word it was just word of mouth was our only form of advertising for the longest time um but you know scaling up the operation from being you know, something made in, in a kitchen to something being made on a, on a larger scale. Uh, there were a lot of things that happened at that time which kind of really supported Wally in his journey. I mean, the one story he tells is that he, he had a couple of mini factories and these factories, he had built them because, as I said, he was in construction. So he had a small factory that he had access to. And he was wondering how on earth he was going to start to develop these foods on a, on a greater scale. And he was looking at the factory, you know, rubbing his chin and considering how am I going to do this. And a guy knocked on the door, an old Zulu man. And he said to him, you know, I'm looking for a job. And, uh, and my dad said, well, what, what do you do? And he said, well, actually, I've been uh, the operations uh, head or head of operations for a meat factory. And... Uh, and Wally said, so what, what did you do? And he was like, well, I used to make sausages and burgers. Like, these are the kind of things we made. So he was like, well, actually, I do need your help. You know, I need to, this is what I need to do. Can you point me in the right direction? And he drove with this, this old Zulu man down to um, a machinery um, sale uh, down in Durban, which is close to the factory. And uh, it was an auction of, of machinery. And it was all meat machinery so there were mixes and things that you would use you know to form to make a sausage or and he went there and he he didn't really know what he needed so he just bought all the machinery on the auction he just said I'll just take it all and then I'll have to see what I need later and he took it up to his factory and this old guy helped him to commission these machines start teaching him how to use them that was the beginning uh, for for us in terms of scaling up and then um, we sent our first export container to the UK. So we've been a supplier to the UK for 18 years now. And then a year later, our first container to Australia. But in both cases, especially with the UK, we were working with a vegan family, much like ours, that were very passionate about um, plant-based uh, foods. And they wanted to import the products and sell them in their store. And that was the beginning of the UK for us. But it's been very slow, actually, um, up until the last, you know, three years where we've seen exponential growth. But up to there, it was 
attending small food shows, sampling the products, working with uh, animal rights organizations, and they've been incredibly helpful for us, um, you know, partnering with them and, and just getting the word out there, getting people to taste our products, but slow, slow, you know, organic, organic growth. But now I really believe we've built a very strong foundation for the true globalization of fries. And so I'm very excited about the future. Yeah, and it sounds like in those early days, it was just based on relationships, right? And just finding a family in the UK who were like, we love your products, can we get them here? And yeah, okay, we'll send over a container and just those kind of building those relationships organically that, yeah, enabled you to get to this point. And Fries has a lot of products on the market. Like I read in Fred Economist, you have over 60 different product lines at present. Yes, how how is that as a challenge to kind of manage you know because each product has its own life it has its own marketing it's you know it has its own journey so as a as a business like what are the challenges you have to overcome when you have so many SKUs well we do produce some of our chilled products in the UK um so especially value adds. So if it's, for example, if it's a pasty and it contains the fries chicken style strips, we may ship the chicken style strips and then the pasty is actually made in the UK. Um, that reduces some of the complexity manufacturing in the market where you're supplying. Um, other than that, you know, as we were growing, we couldn't afford to say no to business. So if somebody needed a particular size sausage, we were going to take the opportunity. We were like, we'll make the sausage for you. If you're how big do you want it? We'll do it. And so just being really hungry for the opportunities. And so then you find yourself quite quickly in a, in a place where you've done a lot for a lot of people and you need to start saying, okay, it comes time to, to really hone in on, on the range and what we're going to offer. And then we've got products that we developed 30 years ago that are still in some markets, like in South Africa. Although they use old technology, people still love those products. So we've got an original burger. It's so old, it was actually developed as sliced off a roll. So it's very hard on the edges, doesn't look like a, like a, a current you know, plant-based burger. And then we created a new one, which was the traditional burger using a newer technology. Now, hundreds of thousands of people like that one. And then now we have the big fry burger, which is raw, innovative, red, you know, cooks from raw, has a lot more, um, uh, is much closer in, in terms of taste and texture to the meat, to the real meat patty. And so we develop, but we also have a lot of, because we so, you know, we are a heritage brand, we do have consumers that we don't want to let down by just deranging a product that they really love. So we find ourselves in these, like little quandaries, uh, wondering, you know, how do we manage that? Um, because we also love our consumers um, and we don't want to disappoint anyone by just saying, well, we don't want to make that. It doesn't make economic sense. Not, you know, uh, we'd never, ever stood. Our, we have one value and that's principles before profits. Um, and we want to stay true to that value uh, for the rest of time. That's, you know, one thing that we, we just want to keep very, very real in our company. It's really cool to hear you say that. It's a very customer-centric approach. And yeah, like, you know, if you look at it, 60, 60 lines to say it doesn't it doesn't really make sense to do some of your products, but it does make sense to you guys because you've always wanted to meet people, you know, like who need need that stuff. And those people who are in South Africa 
who loved your original projects products you're not turning your back on them and I think that's really that's really important and you know it's it's as you grow it's easy to lose yes. touch with those roots as a business but it's clear you guys have really tried to, to keep in touch with the people who, who originally supported you and so we bring so many products to market and I know marketing is one of your specialisms within the business I'd love to hear what have been some of the big successes and maybe some of the ones that haven't gone so well because so many entrepreneurs will be listening to this thinking okay I've got a product I want to bring to market what are some of the the things that work really well and what have been a couple of the pitfalls you've encountered along the way we tried to extend the range outside of plant-based meats and uh, we launched a, a coconut based ice cream and what we did was we wanted an ice cream that was clean label and so we removed a lot of the ingredients that are traditionally found in ice cream and uh, we did all of the testing we did the distribution test we tested the product going to market everything works but when in actual reality when we did this on scale and we started to ship the products around South Africa the ice cream lost so much volume in the tubs and and just became hard and you know crystallized and it was extremely disappointing i mean it had taken so much time to develop and efforts and it was just you know heartbreaking to see and we had to recall all of the product and uh, on you know on further investigation and um and doing further research, we realized that we could not launch an ice cream unless we used certain additives, um, which we weren't really keen on using. So uh, we'd never relaunched that product. And that was probably two or three years ago. Um, so I think uh, the learning from that is sometimes just stick to what you're good at <laughs> and don't, don't move outside of, of that which, you are, what, which, which you've mastered. Uh, because you think it's going to do something for your brand or because you think that, you know, you've had a lot of knowledge in manufacturing one thing, you should be able to transfer that knowledge. It's not always the case. Um, and so, you know, will we come back with ice cream? I mean, maybe we will one day, but at the moment it's not on the cards. Um, we kind of lost, we, we were er we one of the early players there and, and now we're not anymore. We wouldn't be one of the early players in that category. So I think stick to your guns and stick to what you're good at. Uh, that would be m one of the key things that we learned. And then in terms of um, marketing campaigns and, you know, there's so much advertising in the world and I think people are just inundated with marketing messages. So one of the things is just being real and being authentic and being transparent with people because if you can act like a human being as a brand, I think you have a lot more chance of success than acting like a robot or something perfect. So I think just being authentic with people and open and honest and, and communicating and explaining, you know, we, we went out after that ice cream, we, we just, we sorry guys, we, we actually, we, we really stuffed that up. That was, you know, that was terrible. And, and, what we found is people didn't turn around and say, oh, yeah, you guys, you that, that was such a bad mistake. Actually, they felt more connected to us than they had before. And the messages of, of support were overwhelming, saying, you know, we still got your back. If you ever come back with ice cream, we'll be the first to buy it. You know, the support was incredible. And I, I really learned there that people just want to see you being real. They, they, they're sick and tired of being fed just marketing stuff. 
They just want realness. And Fry's is one of those real brands. And we're going we, we're gonna to stick to that. We believe in that. And we want to be that for our consumers. Yeah, I think it's so true. If you can be real, like, I think it really cuts through the, the marketing fluff that's out there. So Fry's has recently entered into a really exciting new chapter with the Live Kindly company. You recently um, joined this new new company, which is setting about changing the world. And I know one of their goals is to become the world's biggest um, chicken plant-based chicken company. So can you tell me about that? How was the whole process? How did it come about? And kind of what are you guys hoping to achieve together? Yeah, well, this was an amazing opportunity for Fry's uh, to really join with a powerhouse company with um, phenomenal resource really good leaders and kind of bring together, you know, heritage brands with um, investors and kind of bring it all together. And not only that, join people that are value aligned and mission aligned. And that was critical. I don't think we could have, being the company that we, that we are, where purpose is number one, is the only reason why we exist is for what we stand for. Um, that was a critical you know, if we were going to have investment outside, they had to have the same purpose and the same vision. And the Live Kindly share our vision. Um, not only that, they want to change this broken food system. They, I say they, we. Now we want to change a broken food system. And uh, we are the only plant-based food company that now owns the entire food chain. So from... I mean, the whole chain of supply from seed all the way to, you know, the table, the consumer's table. And through different strategic partners, um, we are able to do this. So we have seed growers that we that are actually involved with our company. We're also working with um, chicken producers so that we can reach a huge scale very, very quickly. Because when you have a broken food system, you can't act slowly. This needs uh, intentional action very fast. And we are perfectly positioned with, um, with what's being created to, to do that. So I think we are now a leader and a leading company in the plant-based food space. Um, we set to be the biggest plant-based food company and I know that um, there's a lot of other exciting part- partnerships coming. There's a lot of brands that we're going to be working with. Uh, it's just incredibly exciting times for Fry's. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And, and sort of looking to the future, what innovations are, re- are you really excited about in the plant-based world? Um, I think, um, sure, that's, a, it's quite a, that's quite a big question. <laughs> but I think uh, to see... To see that um, meat alternatives have come such a, f- a far way in terms of their technology and the way they are being produced. And I think the scalability of producing, you know, um, if we can scale that, that process up, um, we can produce foods more cost effectively. And I think when we can do that, we break down this barrier of entry to veganism that it's something expensive and we make ourselves accessible to everyone instead of just being something that only a few people can buy or afford, this becomes a, a, a viable protein option for the whole world. And um, 
And I think I'm very excited. I'm also very excited to see the different proteins that are coming into the space. So we're starting to see, you know, a variety of different proteins. And I think that's, that's creating a lot of novelty and excitement for people who are entering the space, looking at what different types of proteins that they can, you know, incorporate into their diet. Um, so I think those are the, re- the really exciting. And of course, dairy alternatives. I mean, we've seen a massive shift there because not that long ago, vegan cheese wasn't that great. And now oh, 10 years ago, it was, terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. I mean, I just couldn't replace, like, I just didn't have dairy and I didn't have dairy replacements. I was like, it's fine. I'll just figure it out. Um, now, you know, you walk into a supermarket and you're just seeing really good vegan, I mean, Magnum with vegan ice cream, Cornetto, like foods that I didn't eat for my whole life are now foods that I'm not saying they're the best <laughs> foods to be eating, but they're so close to the original that it's actually not a trade-off and you're not having to sacrifice. Uh, if you eat meat analogs or plant-based meats, there's no sacrifice anymore. These are as good as the original. So it's easy to, it's very easy to shift. It makes the barrier to entering the plant-based space as an individual so much easier. You're not sacrificing. You can make everything you used to make, eat everything you used to eat. It's just that the protein comes from the plant. Yeah, it's amazing. There's abundance. So coming back to you a little bit, obviously you touched on your career as an athlete and you've competed um, karate at international level um for many years like can you talk do you think that's helped you in business what you've learned in the sports world um for sure i mean karate is one of those sports that it's it's more of a lifestyle um you know it's a way of life a way of being uh karate is not just a normal sport there's a lot of you know we've got the five maxims of karate which are character sincerity effort etiquette and self-control And I think all of these uh, character traits, which I spent 30 years developing as, you know, from the time I was four, when I started the sport, um, these are all good traits to bring into your business life. I mean, you think character, being sincere, putting in effort, um, having self-control, you know, not getting angry. Self-control comes into so many different, you know, just being disciplined as a human being. And so, yes, definitely. Um. Uh, I think karate made me who I am. Uh, I was quite a timid, you know, when I was younger, I was quite timid. Uh, karate s- strengthened me as an individual. I mean, I spent my whole life fighting physically, fighting men, you know. Um, and so being able to communicate with men um, and be not have any kind of fear uh, to to, to communicating with a male or even strong male. These are all skills that have actually helped me a lot um, in, in my life. And obviously running, I actually ran a karate school and I and taught a lot of athletes um, from, from a young, I set up my first karate school when I was 16. So I learned all the skills of being an entrepreneur just in my own little way. And I was teaching self-defense and uh, Taibo when that was a thing. I would teach people, Taibo and karate. And so I learned a lot of entrepreneurial skills, but I also learned how to, to stand up and, and communicate and teach people. Um, and I did that for years and years and years. And that's funny because that's really helped me now when I run workshops, you know, to stand up and talk about plant-based nutrition. I would not, I would not be doing what I was doing without the sport that I did. Um, I know that for a fact. I wouldn't be 
I wouldn't be able to communicate as well. I wouldn't have the discipline that I've developed um, to get work done and really get stuck in. And it doesn't matter about the time and the hours and maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe sometimes you've got to go through adversity. So all those things as an athlete apply, definitely apply in business. You see a lot of athletes doing very well in business because the skills, you can, you can take those skills across. Definitely, you have to be a team player. You have to be disciplined. You have to... You have to learn from your mistakes that all things that come with sport that you've clearly been able to translate so lastly what are your hopes for fry's family foods in this new exciting area you're entering into and what are your hopes for tammy on a personal level one of our dreams has just come true so we've you know a lot of what we've what we've thought about for the longest time has happened and and i've got a lot of hope i mean fry's is a a phenomenal brand and the people that ha- are, that I'm working with are very very much value the heritage in that brand and value what we've stood for and they want us to keep doing what we've been doing and that's incredible because a lot of the time you can go through a, a transition like this with your business and everything that you've stood for can be dismantled and I think we're going to be able to stay intact with our values. Not I think, I know we will stay intact with our values and our ethics and our principles. And so what I look forward to is looking back in another 20 years um, when Fry's is truly a global, you know, household name and still be standing for those very, uh, those very values. So that's my hope for Fry's. For myself, um, I'm launching... And I actually haven't said this to anyone because I've been quite scared to do it. But um, I am writing a book with Penguin Publishers, which I'll be publishing early next year, um, which is a you know, plant-based cookbook, but it's more than that. It's a lifestyle book, um, holistic, uh, holistic wellness uh, book, and that will support people through a journey people that are wanting to transition just to help them through that journey and give them some tips, you know, mothers going through the same thing I go through with my children um, when it comes to food and the, what we choose to eat as a family. Um, so that's, I'm doing that. And of course, I run workshops around the world teaching people about plant-based nutrition, um, how to cook, you know, simple vegan food for your family, make it really, really simplistic. Um, these are things that I really want to have more opportunities to do and I think the doors will open at the right time my youngest is very untouched he wants to save animals too and he always says to me I you know uh, when he heard about fries joining live kindly he actually was quite emotional and he was sitting in the back of the car crying and I said what's wrong and he said well how am I going to change the world like you've been doing oh and I said well what do you mean and he said well like I was going to change the world with fries too and now like what how am I going to do it and it suddenly hit me, you know, <laughs> that I've been saying to them every time I jump on a work call and they're around and it's, you know, it's a difficult time of the night or the morning. And I say, no, you guys have to keep quiet. I'm on a work call. And they're like, what, why are you on the work call? And I said, I'm changing the world. <laughs> I, <laughs> I need to do this. You know, I'm, I'm helping save animals. I need to do this. And so I definitely want them to see I did my best. You've definitely done your best and you've, you've definitely changed the world, you and your family. So I think they've got that to see and it's exciting exciting times for you and congratulations on the book I can't wait to read it and you know we have to get you in Fevolution to share that 
that story on the stage when when we can all meet in, in, in person, person again, again. Hopefully not too not too far into the future. Amazing. Well, well, you can't go quite yet because we have our quick fire question rounds, which we ask at the end of every interview. We ask everyone the same questions. Firstly, why do you get up in the morning? To change the world. Yes, that is definitely the right answer. <laughs> Secondly, what problem are you trying to solve with fries? Personally, uh, give people an alternative to eating animals so that we don't see suffering in the way we see it now. What resource has had the biggest impact on fries? Human beings. That's the most answered. Um, <laughs> I think humans are essential to, to what we do. Okay, I've, I know you're going to have some recommendations on this one. What are your top three books or podcasts you recommend to entrepreneurs? You guys, I mean, you guys are amazing. So uh, definitely my top choice. Um, you know, I love the Ed Milet show. <laughs> um, I just love the energy of that show. I mean, I'd love to say the four hour work week, <laughs> but I didn't follow anything <laughs> that the four hour work week taught me. Most recently, the 5am club by Robin Sharma, that, that was incredible. And, um, I think, you know, it just, it just, uh, highlights how discipline can play a role for entrepreneurs, how just being disciplined about how you spend your time. Are you up at 5am most mornings? Every morning. Wow. You know what? So many people on this show are up at 5am. I think you're like, there must be, there must be something in that. Yeah. Yeah. There's something in that. There's some secret, there's some secret sauce there. Um, <laughs> I think those would be my top, if you're asking just my top. So what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started out in business? Because we were a small family business, we looked to these big companies and we sometimes wished that we had what they had. And now we, I think we should have just been happy always with what we had. So I think sometimes, you know, feeling a sense of, or I, we don't have all that resource and we don't have all those people and we don't, uh, now, and that was only my, that's me personally. I'm not saying that's the way the rest of the family saw it, but I often as the marketer felt that way. And now I'm actually just happy that we grew it the way we did. I think we've, we've done it exactly the way we should have. It was how it was meant to be. It was how it was meant to be. Very nice. So lastly, what do you do to keep yourself sane? Surfing. Surfing. <laughs> Karate and surfing. <laughs> I love the ocean. If I can get into the ocean every single day, um, I'm definitely a happier person and more calm. Um, yeah, that's, that's... What's your favourite beach in Australia? Anywhere along the Sunshine Coast, which is where we now live. Fantastic. It's a fantastic place, part of the world. Well, Tammy, thank you for everything you've been doing for the plant-based movement. And thanks for everything Fries has done as well over, over a long period of time. It's really been incredible. And thank you for your little part you played in our journey as well. And I'm just really excited to keep co-creating and collaborating and growing um, this movement for the decades to come. So look... Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Damien. I really appreciate it. I mean, you guys uh, keep shining bright. Um, big respect for, for, for you. Hi, plantpreneurs. 
thanks for listening to this episode of the Plant-Based Business Podcast. It was produced by Feevolution and this series is hosted by myself, Damien Clarkson and my co-host, Judy Nadell. Before we go today, I have a quick favour to ask. At Feevolution, we believe in the power of business to positively impact the planet. This is why we created the podcast to help accelerate the good work you're all doing in making the world a better place. But we need your support to keep this community going. We've created a new plant-based business community over on Patreon. For just a few pounds a month, you can support the show and growing and helping us to shine a light on the plant-based businesses changing the world. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash plant-based business and show your support for this podcast and the free content we create. Also, please remember to share this episode in your favourite social network. I can't tell you how much things like reviews and social shares help us and our mission to tell the world about the growth of the plant-powered business movement. You can find us on Instagram at plantbasedbusiness underscore and at feevolution underscore. Okay, keep safe and we'll see you all again soon.